0: It's been a wonderful study so far and we're going to cover the first 15 verses. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. Find it in the New Testament, of course. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you'll turn there. So right after Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Now, if you've been with us in our study, you know that Paul, is, he's been writing to the Corinthian congregation. He's been writing about how he has um, and is a minister of the New Testament. Not of the letter, because the letter kills. And it's the spirit that gives life. And he has been telling us of the glory of the New Testament, which allows us to behold the glory of God with an open face. Changing us into the image of... A, Jesus from glory to greater glory day by day as we just yield to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in our lives that will cause us to glow perpetually. You see, unlike Moses, as Paul was writing about last week, Moses, who represents the law, his countenance would diminish. And so Paul tells us something that we would not have known if he hadn't written about it in chapter 3, inspired by the Spirit of God, that Moses put a veil over his face. We know that Moses in Exodus chapter 34 went up on the mountain of God and he would be in the presence of the glory of God and then he would come down and he would be shining his countenance. And so they said, Moses, put a veil over your face, but Moses put that veil over his face also because his glory, that glory that... Of his countenance would diminish. So the children of Israel couldn't see that, that the glow of his countenance was diminishing, passing away. So that's what Paul was discussing, talking about the glory of the new covenant which we talked about as we just yield to the Spirit of God, then we have the countenance of God that will be in us day after day after day because it's a work of the Spirit. So he's gonna continue talking about that as we move into chapter four. He says, therefore, in light of everything that I've discussed to you, since we have this ministry, that is the ministry of bringing the new covenant to you, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. So we have the ministry of the Spirit, not of legalism, We know that we have received his mercy and we don't lose heart. And that is, Paul, as he preached the gospel, he preached it with great humility. He knew that the calling of God in his life to do that, to to minister the new covenant, to minister the gospel, was not due to his own works. He says, God has been good to us, and we take this ministry very seriously. We don't lose heart, and that word has the idea of not only having a lack of courage... But also, it has the idea in the original language of dishonest conduct, of bad behavior. And so he goes on to say in verse 2, But when we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul, once again, he, he's pointing out that he and those who ministered with him, that they did it, with godly integrity. They did it with sincerity. They did it with real honesty of heart. We're not doing ministries as a means for our own personal gain. We're not doing it so that we can be elevated. We're not doing it deceitfully and being crafty, coming up with schemes, how we can benefit from the ministry. We don't have hidden agendas. We are simply teaching the Word of God to you. We are serving you humbly we're not using our position in ministry to do our own thing and you see we need to watch out for that because unfortunately today there can be those with all kinds of gimmicks they have uh, and use manipulation they have deceit that is uh, being used and they minister in that way and so there are those that ministers evangelists that they've benefited greatly I mean, we see those who will boast about, you know, how rich they are and how wealthy they are, and and they show off their luxury, and and they live in multi-million dollar homes, and all of that is done by deceit, by twisting the scriptures. They're very crafty, by gimmicks, by manipulating, and it's to benefit them. They're merchandising the gospel, and Paul says we're not about that at all. We've ministered not in a way to gain us. Matter of fact, you know how Paul, when he went to Corinth, that he made tents, even though the church grew and it exploded, and the world can look at it and say, wow, how successful Paul was in his ministry. But Paul said, I am not going to take from you. I am not going to be supported by you. I'm going to continue to make tents, because he did not want to stumble anyone. He did not want the gospel to be hindered as he would give it to them. And so we're not using the word of God or using the position that we have as ministers to to benefit personally or do our own thing. And as you look at, for example, in scripture, you can see the contrast of those who did things that benefit themselves and those who truly did ministry out of a heart for God and obedience to God. In the Old Testament, you look at, for example, Saul, the first king of Israel. He used the things of God to glorify himself, to to build up his ministry, to establish himself, to do his own things. It was Saul that wanted to look good before the people. Hey, Samuel, even though that I've been disobedient and have not done the, the instructions and the command of the Lord, you know what, Samuel, bless me before the people. Don't make me look bad. Uh, bless me and elevate me before the people and it was Samuel that said no God has rejected you there are Christians and ministers that can begin to use the ministry to establish their thing to get benefit and recognition and power and influence and it ought not to be but Saul in the Old Testament would be replaced by David David had a heart after God he used his life as a platform upon which the Lord could be glorified and and, and loved on and Paul Here, it was the same way. David, in the Old Testament, established the Lord. You read that over and over again. Saul wanted to establish himself. And it was Saul that ended up falling into insanity and died in a very tragic way. And it's tragic when a man or woman begins to be deceitful or begins to walk in craftiness using the Word of God or the position of ministry that they're in for their own gain, their own fame. And and there were those in Paul's day that were doing that, and there are those today that do that. And Paul is saying here, you know it wasn't us. We weren't using you to do our thing. And he's going to address those false apostles and prophets that were in the church at Corinth at this time doing things deceitfully and doing things for their own gain. But as Paul talks about, we walked in the fear of God, in, in, the, in the integrity, in, in um, humility of the Lord. He continues writing verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, it, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Oftentimes, after we share with people the, the beauty and the reality of the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done for us in and, and dying for our sins on Calvary's cross, we share that. We share the truth of God's word with others. And we can have that experience, and when we do that, there's no positive response from those that we share with. And we can think, don't you kind of see it? Don't you get it? Why don't you respond to the gospel? Who wouldn't want eternal life? Who wouldn't want reconciliation with the loving, caring Father? And we give them the good news of salvation and forgiveness and mercy and grace and love. And we ask ourselves, why wouldn't anyone want that for their own lives? Why don't they see it? And Paul here is giving us some very important insights. You recall, that in the previous chapter, if you were here last week, as Paul was talking about the new covenant, that he says there in verse 14, but their minds were blinded. And as we discussed, Paul at that time in chapter 3 was talking very specifically about Israel, the Jews. But now he continues writing and he says that in this world there is a blinding that takes place by the God, the little g of this world a blinding that takes place in people that keeps them from seeing what you say, from receiving what you say concerning the good news of the gospel. Satan, who is the god of this age, Jesus in John's gospel said that Satan was the ruler of this world, Paul, as we know, also would write in Ephesians that Satan is called the prince of the power of the air, and he is blinding people. And we need to understand this because we can share with others the wonderful love of Jesus Christ and his work for us on Calvary's cross, the provision of salvation and forgiveness. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We share with others. They don't respond to the gospel in a way that brings that salvation to them. And we share and we share and we can get frustrated and we think, I'm not going to share with them anymore i'm not going to keep sharing with them it's not working people don't see it so i'm going to keep quiet but we need to realize something that's very very important and that is satan the god of this world he will bring a blinding to the minds of those who believe not there is the the mind of the unbeliever which just has been blinded their spiritual eyes just as they said back in verse 14 of chapter 3 their minds were blinded. Satan will do everything he can to pollute and prejudice your mind and spiritual eyes blinding them to the character and nature and truth of God. That's why he's called the father of lies. And you know the story back in Genesis chapter 3 that when Satan came in the form of a serpent that that he said to her, if you eat of the forbidden fruit, Eve, your eyes are going to be opened and Of course, Satan being a liar, saying that your eyes will be opened, really meant that you're going to be blinded. And so Eve bit into that lie, didn't she? And since that time, the God of this age, Satan has been blinding the minds. He blinds people to keep them from getting the truth, not seeing it. God's love, his grace. And have you ever noticed that when you talk to a non-believer, you talk to people in generally, when you talk to them about God's provision and love and grace, and you share the gospel or the truth of God's word, they can just kind of stare at you? You can tell they're not receiving or they kind of turn away, they're not interested. There's all of a sudden this, this wall that can go up. I did a funeral this week, and, and uh, every seat was full here in the sanctuary of people and others. And I always share the gospel when I do a memorial service, when I do a funeral. and And you can tell, sometimes people just... There's just this glaze, this staring off, and they don't get it in the reaction when you talk to them. And that happens, I think, that a lot of us, that we've experienced that kind of thing when we've talked to others. You see, you can talk to them about, you know, Peyton Manning coming to Denver. You can talk to them about March Madness. You can talk about the weather. You can talk about fishing, the the elections this year. You can talk just about on any subject, and they'll engage with you. But when it comes to talking about Jesus Christ, it's like all of a sudden the lights go out. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to receive it. They're not interested. And I think that most of us have experienced that kind of thing in our sharing, in our witnessing with others about the cross of Calvary, the love of God. There's a blindness that has taken place. And so what do we do about that? Do we give up? Do we say, I'm not going to share with them any longer? No. But it is important what we do is we pray. And we need to pray for those that we're sharing with, whether it's that person at work or neighbors or other family members, whoever is linked to you in your life, you pray that the Lord will open up their eyes, the eyes of their hearts, their spiritual eyes. It was Jesus that was saying to Peter up there at Caesarea Philippi. After Peter made that confession, you recall, that Jesus, or Peter said to Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus responded by saying, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And Jesus went on to say that upon that confession I'm going to build my church, and whatsoever things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. So the way to pray for your loved ones that are not saved or your friends is to pray that God will bind that work of Satan that has blinded their minds and that are holding them captive. Do you know that Satan is holding them captive? Because Paul, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, said that a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So Satan is holding people, your loved ones, captive, those who don't know the Lord. He's poisoning their minds against God. So we are to pray to the Lord to bind that work of Satan, blinding their minds, holding them in captivity. God, bind that work of Satan has done in their lives and that work that is keeping them from seeing you clearly, from receiving the gospel, understanding the gospel that they would be able to consider the gospel without that blindness taking place from Satan. So prayer is really, really important when we talk about witnessing to unbelievers and when you're sharing with others. Pray that that veil would be lifted from their eyes and hearts, a veil that has been put there by the God of this age, Satan. Make that the direction of your prayers. very important. So God um, it will... As you pray, God, bind the power of Satan. God, remove the the blinders that Satan has put over their minds, over their spiritual eyes, that they will be able to see very rationally and very clearly the offer that God has made to us that comes through Jesus Christ. And then loose that work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The conviction of the Holy Spirit upon their hearts and the drawing of the Holy Spirit of their hearts to Jesus Christ. Now, even when the blindness has been lifted, We need to make sure that we're praying that, Lord, that the Holy Spirit may get a hold of their hearts. Because once the blindness has been lifted, it's no guarantee that person will accept what they now see, the provision of salvation. Satan's going to work hard to to blind them once again and keep blinding them. But John's Gospel also tells us that men love the darkness and reject the light. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light. So once they see, there has to be a desire, has to be a response to be saved, that asking Jesus to come into their hearts as the Holy Spirit is drawing them. And Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will no means cast out. So our prayers are to set them free so that they can see, and once they see, that they'll humble their hearts and receive Jesus into their lives. And verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And so Paul, he he didn't get behind the pulpit, he didn't stand before the people uh, an audience to preach himself. And I like this, because this is very important. Paul wasn't the focus. He wasn't trying to build something around himself. He wasn't you know, advertising that he's the great Apostle Paul. He wasn't drawing attention to him or the people that were with him. We preach Jesus Christ, and we're your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And I like that. We're not preaching ourselves. We're not focusing on ourselves. We don't preach to draw attention to ourselves, but we point to and we focus on Jesus Christ singularly. Him, Jesus Christ, and Him crucified. And we, we are here to serve you to help you in your understanding of Him. And that really is what ministry is all about. That's what we're to do in ministry. We're to point people past ourselves to Jesus Christ, and then we're to serve others. To serve others, that's the way the kingdom... Matter of fact, Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be the servant of all. And that was Paul. He had that servant mentality. He served others. He benefited others. He reached out. He shared. He sweated for others. He ministered to them in very practical ways. He gave his life to them, investing in them, giving the gospel and the truth. And so he says, we point past us to Jesus Christ because Paul knew he couldn't save anybody. He knew that he couldn't forgive anybody. It was only Jesus that, that can do that. And so I'm pointing you to him. In verse 6, for it is the God who... Um, that. Uh, commanded light to shine out of the darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light, the glory, the glow that doesn't fade away as it did with Moses who represented the law. But you can shine brightly and enjoy just the, the, the countenance of the Lord that comes shining forth from you continually day after day as you're just living for him and surrender to him. He shines in our hearts because he's in our heart. Paul writes, you give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So how does one know God? Well, I know most of you know this, but one knows God by looking and knowing Jesus Christ. Paul, again, writing to Timothy in his first letter to Timothy, he said that great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifested in the flesh, that God came and dwelt among us, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. So John would say, that the, uh, that the face of God is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. He would write that. And then also we know that Paul writing to Colossians says that Jesus is the express image, the exact representation, in other words, of God the Father. So how do I know what God is like? How do I know that he's not angry and mad and, and mean? I know the reality of God the Father by knowing Jesus and looking at Jesus who is the glory and the reality of God the Father. I see Jesus as the one who represents and one who's the perfect representation of the Father. So in Luke's Gospel, the woman came and fell at the feet of Jesus and washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. And as she looked up, she looked up into the eyes of God himself And he said, your sins are forgiven, and your faith has saved you, and the one who's forgiven much loves much. You go in peace. It was Jesus, as we read in the gospel accounts, that touched and healed and ministered and showed compassion. He loved the people, and the people would hear him. And I see, as I look at Jesus, I, I, I know the heart of God. I, I know the character of God, the nature of God. And it was that last night that Jesus would be with his disciples. That it was Philip that said, "That show us the Father, that it might suffice us. And Jesus said, oh, Philip, you've been with me all this time. Don't you understand that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? I and the Father are one. So the face of God is revealed through the person of Jesus Christ in verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power might be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. And verse 11, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. The light has shined in our hearts. And, of course, Jesus would say that I am the light of the world. And then Paul writes that we have this treasure, verse 7, as I draw attention to that verse once again. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And you read that and you think, what's the treasure and what's the earthen vessel? Well, we are the earthen vessels. We're clay pots. We're likened to clay pots. We have a treasure in us, and that is the Lord by his Holy Spirit. He puts the life and the light of the sun in us, these, these earthen vessels, clay pots, Christ dwelling us, because we're earthy, aren't we? We're clayey, we're dusty. And the Lord, this is amazing, chooses to put the glory, the light in us. And I really am amazed as I think about that. You mean the beauty and the light of his Son placed In us, in earthen vessels, in me, clay pots like me. And I marvel at that, that God would dwell in me, because I know that I am pretty earthy. I'm pretty dusty. I'll speak for myself. But then God, you know, or Paul begins then to explain why he does this. Why we have this treasure in earthen vessels, and so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And I have that underlined. The focus is not the container. And that's what Paul's been writing about. He says, we're not the focus, we point you to Jesus Christ. So we have this this treasure in earthen vessel. The the focus is not the container. Nobody's going to say, hey, look at the clay pot. Clay pots were very common back in the ancient world. I mean, they weren't very durable. They were useless. If it was broken, they were cheap. They were little value. And God chose to put his light and glory in everyday dishes, just like in our own homes. We have everyday dishes that we use. We don't marvel at the everyday dishes that we use, do we? And he puts this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots. Everyday, ordinary people. And the focus is not on the container. But the excellency goes to the treasure to God. And and the Lord says, I'm going to take my treasure, place it in these earthen pots, so that the treasure may stand out all the more. It's the treasure that people are going to look on. It's the treasure that people are going to marvel at. And they're going to be drawn to that, not to the clay pot. So as Paul has been saying, we don't preach ourselves. We don't draw attention to ourselves. We're earthen vessels, but we do have this treasure in us that is to be the focus. And then in the rest of the chapter, Paul will show us how God breaks his clay pot so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So as we just kind of... Look at the, the, the train of thought here that Paul is he writing to us, inspired by the Spirit of God. Again, we reflect the glory of the Lord as we behold him with an open face. We're being transformed into the, the same image from glory to greater glory. Day by day as we're given to him, as we give our hearts to the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And the light and the glory of Jesus is a treasure in us earthen vessels, clay pots. We all... Have shortcomings, we have frailties, and all the more the focus goes to the treasure of Jesus, not on us trying to be religious or, or working hard, trying to polish the clay pot. We don't do that. We let the light shine, don't we? The light that's imparted to us, reflecting from us. It's released through us by the working of the Holy Spirit. So people around us that are stumbling around in the darkness might see His excellence. How? Well, verses 8 and 10, again, as we draw attention to those verses, that Paul says here that we're going through tough times. We're being pressed on every side, not yet crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. It's been hard, but in our dying, his light is seen. In our being persecuted and being perplexed, something is happening. The treasure is being seen, the light is being seen through the broken vessel. I can't help but think this truth that's being explained here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the illustration that's given to us in Judges chapter 6 and 7. And a lot of you, you know the story. But there was a man named Gideon, and God raised up this man to deliver the people of Israel from those who were oppressing them, the Midianites, along with their allies, the Amalekites. And there were 135,000 Midianites that had come, and they were oppressing the people of Israel. They had plundered their cities, so where the people of Israel were living up in the hills. They're stealing their crops, their wheat, and it went on year after year, and God finally spoke to Gideon and said, Gideon, I'm going to use you, mighty man of valor. I'm going to rescue you, or use you to rescue the people from this bondage. And Gideon was reluctant initially, but as you read the story, God was dealing with him and and calling him and confirming the calling in his life. And so, Gideon, you blow the trumpet, bring the troops, and so that's what Gideon did. And he gathered the men of Israel to, to go against the Mennonites. And 32,000 men of Israel responded to the call of Gideon to face the overwhelming 135,000 Mennonites and their fast camels. And God says to Gideon, You have too many men. Too many men? Yeah, you got too many. Because when victory comes to you, I don't want you to get the glory. I don't want the pot, the vessel to get the credit, the glory, too many. So we need to cut it down a bit. So go and tell, if anyone is afraid to go to battle, go ahead and just tell them. They can pack it up and go home. It's okay. So Gideon says, okay. So he goes and he says, if anyone is fearful, it's okay. You can go home. And all of a sudden, 22,000 picked up their stuff, put their tails between their legs, and they bolted. They left. So that left 10,000. Against 135,000 nights not very good odds. And the Lord said to Gideon, Too many. Too many? Yeah, see, when victory comes, your guys are gonna take the glory. So have these 10,000 go down to the creek and get a drink of water. And so the men went down to the brook, and 9,700 of them dove right in, sticking their face into the waters, slopping it up and lapping it up. And so 9,700 drank face first in the water but 300 knelt down on a knee and cupped the water they they were down on a knee they cupped the water they brought it up and to their face to their mouths and they drank it and god said that's going to be the army of gideon you know when i first became a christian even when i was first teaching this the story of gideon and those 300 men that god used i really thought and even taught that yeah those 300 men are the ones cupping their hands, bringing it up to their faces. They're watching across the valley. They're being vigilant. Uh, They're watchful. They're the ones that are paying attention. So they're the ones that are going to be used. They know the seriousness of the situation. And those guys with their faces in the water, not watching, lapping up the water, uh, they're not going to be used of the Lord. And for a long time, I kind of thought in that way that these 300 men were kind of the elite of the Israeli defense, defense forces. You know, these guys were really something, 300 Davids or something like that. But I want to give you another angle on this. Because the longer that I've lived and walked with the Lord and the longer I've been in ministry, as I look at Scripture, I realize that that's not necessarily the hardest of Scripture. So I think there is good application that for you and I to be used, that we're to be watchful and vigilant, we're told that in Scripture over and over again be paying attention but it is very true what god tells us in first corinthians chapter one that the lord uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and he's chosen the weak things of the world to confound those who are mighty the foolish and despised god has chosen and the things that are not to bring to not the things that are that no man will glory in his presence and it is true what god's word declares you know, one of the things that I love to do is go to the Senior Pastors Conference, and I'll do that in June to see Pastor Chuck and some of the other pastors that that I've known for years and years now. And, and I love to get together with them and talk with them. And some of these guys that you listen to on Grace FM uh, during the week, I love to be with Ed Taylor and Lonnie Trujillo and Dave Love and Eric Cartier and these guys and, and just see how God is working. And it's absolutely amazing what God has done through the Calvary chapels, not just here in Colorado, but what he's doing throughout the nation and throughout the world. It's been a revival that's been taking place that's unparalleled in the last 40 years. And just the anointed teaching of the word of God. And you talk with these guys, you know these guys, you visit with them. They're not celebrity pastors. They're not ones that are full of themselves. They're just ordinary guys that God has chosen and anointed to teach the Word of God, and it's absolutely amazing. You don't get drawn to them and, and them personally and all this charisma and all this status and all of this. Just ordinary guys wearing flip-flops and Hawaiian shirts you know, at the pastor's conference. But being used of the Lord as they just humble themselves before the Lord. God has called to ministry in the world's eyes, maybe those who seem to be unqualified, but God, again, using them and calling them and gifting them and working through them. And God is getting the glory. God is doing a work in the world in a way that the world can't figure out all throughout the Calvary chapels. I'm going to use you, Gideon, you who are a big chicken when I called you hiding in a cave, and you were saying that you can't use me, because my family is, is the least of the tribes. My tribe is the least of all the tribes. My family is the least of this tribe, and I'm the least in my family. I, I'm the least to be qualified. And you might be here this morning, you might feel like, I can't engage in ministry, I'm not qualified. Gideon certainly felt that way, but God said, I want to use you, Gideon, and he wants to use the weak and the foolish and the ordinary people like you and me for his glory. I'm going to use these 300 men to defeat the Midianites. And I don't think that necessarily they were the elite, but I suggest to you that these 300 guys were the ones that were frail and broken down, and they couldn't get down to drink, and so they had to scoop it up. It was the young guys in shape and strong and men that could just get down on both knees that started drinking. I think it was the old guys, the fat guys, the bad backs, the bad knees. They had to scoop it up, and that was what was happening. I'm convinced of that. And God looked at those 300 guys and said, I'll use them. I'll use them. And then I'll get the glory. And you see, that's the way of the Lord so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Then people are going to look to God and they will focus not on a person, but on him. They're going to see my glory, not the glory of a man or a woman. So God took these 300 broken down guys, and you know the story, how these guys who couldn't get down on the ground, the ones that the world would look at and say, that's crazy against 135,000 Minionites and their fast camels. And God said, Gideon, this is the strategy. What you do is you take these clay pots, pitchers and earthen vessels and you put some coals in them and you take a trumpet and let's go up on the ridge, surround the Minionites which are down in the valley and at this signal, I want you guys to blow the trumpets and break the clay pots and the air rushing into those open pots, those broken pots are going to ignite the hot coals and light's going to come from those torches. And so blow the trumpet and cry out the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so these 300 guys, they huffed and they puffed their way up the ridges. They blew the trumpets, they broke the clay pots, and light came forth. And the Mennonites were confused. They were terrified. They began to flee. They began to turn the sword on each other. There was a great slaughter of the Midianites, destroyed, wiped out. So an incredible illustration of what the truth is being told to us here in this chapter. They had pots, earthen vessels, And Paul says to the Corinthians, don't you know that we have this treasure, this light in earthen vessels, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, this treasure in earthen vessels, it was God that commanded the light to shine forth out of the darkness, to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And don't you know that we have this treasure in earthen vessels that is God is the light and he has shown in our hearts in us who are earthen vessels. And the Lord says, and the light came out of the earthen vessels. How? How did the light come out of the earthen vessels? How did the light come out of those earthen vessels in Gideon's day when the clay vessels were broken? When they were broken? The light poured out, and the enemy was confused, and there was victory. And Paul says, we are hard-pressed and persecuted and struck down and perplexed that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. And it's when we earthen vessels are broken. It's when we are hard-pressed and perplexed and persecuted struck down. It's when the light of Jesus may be manifested through us. As people see it coming from our hearts, and people look at you and they say, you're shining when you should be discouraged and perplexed and struck down. What gives? I'm confused. And I see the light of the Lord pouring out of you because of the brokenness, and that's how the Lord will use people in a very, very incredible way to touch others, in a deep and meaningful way. And we've been talking about how the Lord will allow us to go through the tough times and the difficulties and the dry days and we say, I'm going to worship God anyway. When we say, I'm going to tell of his goodness and proclaim his truth, I'm going to trust in him. And they see that peace that is in your heart and a peace that passes understanding and a resting in his love and a trusting in his word. I'm going to walk with him and lean on him. When we do that, Then others see that light that is flooding out of the brokenness of your life. And they say you're real. And the enemy is broken back and victory takes place and we say it's the Lord. He's the one that is real in my heart and it's God's light and His goodness and His grace that is radiating from me because He is with me. He is in me. There is a glow of the Lord that's going to come from you. And it will come when there's brokenness. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Not shine in the way that people are impressed with you and your appearance and anything else, whatever it might be. But we glory in humility. And the Lord, you shine. And when you get broken, and all of us will if you haven't already. Because all of us will experience those hardships. And when things are falling apart, and you give that heart to Him, and then you're going to have the opportunity to shine with the glory and love of Jesus Christ. And people will glorify not me, not you, but the Lord. And the enemy is going to be beaten back, and there's going to be victory. And your light shines before men. They see your good works, and they glorify God. So here, the light coming from you. God is working. The Lord is the light. It isn't my abilities, my creativity, my togetherness. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we don't be a workman that rightly dividing the word of God, being diligent, desiring to 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 just be ones that, Lord, I want to do better in the things of the Lord. Don't get me wrong. Continuing in education, continuing in, in things that will help us in developing our you know, ministry and what it might be. But you're saying, Lord, I want you to get the glory. And Lord, I want to shine even as I'm being broken, as you're working in my life. Just let me shine with the love of Jesus Christ. And you see, the Lord will allow you to go through those hard times. Remember this, he doesn't allow you to go through those difficult times to do you in. But it's an opportunity for you to shine him. His light being poured out on others and God gets the glory. Great things he has done. And you're going to be effective in being used of the Lord and bring victory ultimately, just like the men of Gideon. In verse 13, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise up with Jesus and will present us with you. Verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. So Paul could speak because he believed that God had a glorious purpose for their affliction, and it was for the glory of God. And it's for your benefit. And we're thankful for that, and that God will raise us up from the dead. We believe that truly. And we speak it now. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you.